get it going. It is our first Winkly of the week. We are teed up here on Tuesday for some pro wrestling punditry. I am your managing editor for WrestlingInc.com, Nick Hausman, and I am joined here by a very special retro guest co-host here for the Winkly. I've done a lot of shows like this with him over the years. You can hear him on Ring of Honor. It is none other than Joe Dombrowski. Joe, welcome back, or welcome to the Winkly. I don't think you've ever done the Winkly with me. Does retro mean that I'm past my prime? Well, I don't want to. I mean, retro means because, like, we used to do a lot of shows, but then when I moved over here to Wrestling Inc., uh, I had, like, a new crew of people to pull from, and I, I hadn't been able to bring you into the mix yet. But but here you are. You are back in my stew. So what's old is new again. Yes. And uh, what's black is blue again. That's a wrestling thing. We don't have to bring color into this, do we? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, Joe, uh, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Not only uh, you, you're still voicing, you're still doing commentary for Ring of Honor. You're also the promoter of Welterweight Wrestling. Did I get that correct? Yes, I have uh, many hats that I wear. There's really not much in wrestling I haven't done. Um, I, I'm proud to be the the voice of future of honor and occasionally women of honor on a number of the YouTube exclusives on the ROH social media channels. And I'm very busy in uh, my hometown of Pittsburgh with the international wrestling cartel, which has just uh, made the transition to iPay-per-view and in Cleveland, Ohio with the premier championship wrestling and welterweight wrestling brands as welterweight wrestling uh, begins to branch out further into the Midwest, into Indiana and uh, there's just something going on every single weekend. I'm doing voiceovers during the week here at home. I got a pivot chair channel I'm launching. Um, just a ton going on as, uh, uh, you know, it, it's all about as many different revenue streams as possible and having your hands in as many different projects at once because I cannot sit still. I'm a workaholic and I need to keep occupied. And uh, my quirk is the wrestling fans game. There you go. Uh, and uh, you also did commentary with our own Justin Labar at WrestleRex not too long ago. Absolutely true. WrestleRex down in uh, downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, a great combination of some of the best talent in the Pittsburgh area and some of the uh, best talents in Lucha Libre. It was broadcast all across the world uh, live on LuchaCentral.com. And I had a chance to, to broadcast uh, matches with likes of Super Crazy and uh, uh, the Neon Ninja Facade and, of course, the ever-controversial Sam Adonis. Uh, and it was the second WrestleRex uh, that was there, and I believe there's more to come. And uh, I can't wait to see what the future of the brand is because it's such a unique vibe. It's like a, it's more like a rock concert than it is a wrestling event. It's very in-your-face. The vibe is is, is intimate and, and close confines and full of energy. And... Uh, um, great to work with Justin Labar too. He's not done a lot of commentary, but uh, but I dig it, man. He's got he's he's obviously a talker. He's obviously knows his stuff, and uh, hopefully more to come. Yeah, there you go. Hey, you know, and since you are still working with Ring of Honor and calling uh, some of their action, it is Best in the World Week here, uh, which I was going to remind everybody of here uh, this Friday night. Best in the World to be on Fight to be on Pay Per View. Um, just to start it off, because I don't think I have any Ring of Honor stuff here in my run sheet quite yet, though we will have a Ring of Honor-themed guest here later in the show. Uh, for your money, Joe, what do you do with the ROH title here this Friday? Do you think that you could uh, the company should continue to double down on Matt Taven, hope the levy starts to break as far as fan interest goes with him on top, or is it time, you think, for Jeff Cobb uh, to carry the mantle for the brand? Well, I mean, 
the, the likes of Matt Taven, uh, I, I think they work better as champion when when that has time to marinate. Um, Matt Taven is is a very consistent, dependable performer, has been for many years. Uh, obviously, there's uh, a lot of trust and faith in him to give him an opportunity like he had in, you know, essentially the main event of Madison Square Garden back yeah. at G1 Supercard to challenge for that championship and end up winning that championship. Um, Cobb has been red hot since he came in. Uh, television champion right off the bat. Uh, there, there's certainly merit to uh, giving him the, I don't know what you'd want to best reference this based on the past, the Kevin Nash push where he gets all the championships in the first year, sure. however you want to word that. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, I think the audience could w- would absolutely get behind that. But um, to me, you know, Ring of Honor is in a little sense uh, of retooling and rebuilding its roster in 2019 and, and, and getting the puzzle pieces in the right position. And, and for my money, the best way to do that is to have a consistent, uh, dependable, face on top of the card that you build around from there uh to me i think matt taven's done an incredible job and um and no slight on jeff cobb who's been phenomenal as well but um i look for matt taven to um continue that run that's uh, blind speculation on my part but i think taven has done everything that uh, a champion needs to and um Cobb's day will come. I just don't know if it'll come this Friday. Okay, all right. I love the uh, I love the comparison between Kevin Nash and Jeff Cobb. Really, not two people I would put in the same category. Not that you, to diminish either, but very different people. The Kevin Nash push uh, for Jeff Cobb. We shall see. Uh, all right. Well, before we get to the news here in just a bit, uh, we want to send out congratulations to Nikki Cross and Killian Dane. They officially got married over the past weekend, as did Drake Maverick, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. We also wanted to send out our, our best wishes to Bruce Pritchard, who, according to Conrad on Twitter, uh, had to leave the WWE TV tapings early this past week to undergo emergency dental surgery. Bruce tweeted that he had six teeth removed. It sounds gnarly. I absolutely hate having to go to the dentist. This gave me uh, chills when I read it. I-, I hope Bruce is doing better. Did you hear about this one, Joe? What, what happened? I did hear about that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I've, I've had, gosh, I think two teeth removed at, at a time. I can't imagine just the pain of six <laughs> and the recovery process of that. So yeah. uh, my thoughts de- definitely going out to Bruce. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, all right. And uh, before we get to the news, one last thing. We are going to have a big interview here on the show today. Uh, it is ROH themed. It is the man who resurrected PCO D Destro, and I get to chat here later on. Uh, one of my favorite interviews that I've done. I've very much been looking forward to talking to D Destro for a while now. Of course, uh, he brought PCO back to life at the big Madison Square Garden shows. So you're going to get to hear him talk about that. He also reveals in this interview, and I'm not going to give it away, but or not the whole thing away. But he revealed to me something that I thought was kind of interesting, which is that PCO had never heard of Frankenstein before this character. Can you even believe that? Can you imagine going through your whole life and not knowing who and what Frankenstein is? That must be some kind of weird French-Canadian culture thing. I I, I, don't, I couldn't imagine that. I mean, it's so ingrained in, in culture and society. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, a lot, a lot of surprises here in the interview with Destro. I know you guys are going to love it. Uh, but now let's get to it here. News you can use, news that'll leave a bruise. 
Me and Joe, we're gonna we're gonna recap some of the highlights here from the world of pro wrestling news from the past five days, and what a five days it's been. Uh, let's start with uh, the standard bearer, the Universal Champion for WWE, Seth Rollins, has for whatever reason decided he is going to firmly plant the WWE flag uh, in the ground, defend that flag. He goes on a passionate Twitter, I'm going to call it a Twitter campaign, defending WWE, uh, calling it the best pro wrestling on the planet. Uh, he uh, said that there's no other wrestlers uh, alive uh, better than their talent. Will Ospreay jumped in and said, I'm alive, uh, making Seth Rollins call him small compared to Ricochet. Uh, offered to compare bank accounts with Will Ospreay. Chris Jericho, after a while, had to jump in on the back and forth going on between Ospreay and Rollins to remind Rollins that Ospreay is, in fact, taller and bigger than him. Um, and uh, also, uh, during this campaign, Seth Rollins has called WWE critics largely idiots with no clue. Uh, Joe, what do you make of the fact that Seth Rollins has gone to these lengths to defend the product here? Um, I think it's a natural you know, uh, 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 impulse to expect out of somebody like Seth Rollins, who has lived and breathed this brand for the entirety of however long he's been there now. How long has that been? That's been seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it Seth's life. It's his livelihood. It's what's given him all the opportunity he's gotten um, to be a mainstream star, to be the world champion that he is. Um, I, so I completely understand the frustration. Um, and there, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of back and forth blowback on Twitter as far as, as far as, I don't know if I want to say friendly banter, but banter nonetheless. Doesn't seem friendly. Well, I mean, it, it's engaged a lot of people. It, it, it's gotten fans very, uh, involved and I mean, no matter what side of the fence you're on, you're very opinionated um, about the topic. I think Will Ospreay is phenomenal. Um, you know, some of the stuff with Ricochet, um, for the most part, fantastic. Um, obviously, the critique of it being a little bit too choreographed looking, a little bit too perfect and smooth, I understand. Um you can poke holes in that if you want, but you, I mean, you can poke holes in any wrestling product if you really choose to. Um, Seth's obviously frustrated because of so much criticism and yeah. so much um, negativity surrounding the WWE product. And with Seth being one of the faces of that brand, and let's be honest, Seth is probably, I mean, unless you want to look at an AJ Styles, um, probably the most over baby face in that company right now, um, you know, depending on, on the Roman Reigns reaction that particular week. Um, so perhaps Seth is taking this personally and, and, and you know, doubling down and, and, and making sure people understand the work and effort that he and everybody else is putting in. And I don't think any fans who are knocking the product are knocking any of the talent. Well, I think that's important, too. No, and, and you're right about that. And, you know, the thing is, I was reading just before we came on the air, uh, I guess Seth was on uh, the Sports Illustrated media podcast and was asked about the Moxley interview and, you know, kind of took a shot at Mox, too, saying, you know, this company gave you a lot. No reason to jump up on a soapbox here. You know, did you really, truly give everything you could to make this work? And, you know, part of me, I, I think, you know, it is the reaction here to some of the, the fans' reactions, especially going into Stomping Grounds, which is where I guess this all kind of stemmed from. But, uh, you know, I think they got into him. And I also, as I was watching this play out, 
it made me think like who is the locker room leader right now in WWE, right? I mean, there's always seems to have been one big name backstage, whether it's Taker, whether it's Cena, who's in with Vince, can talk Vince's language, but can also be one of the boys and help bridge that a bit. And it does feel a bit like to me in this moment where everything is so wonky, Seth Rollins is taking advantage of this opportunity. And I think, you know, becoming a bit of that locker room leader here, saying it is okay for me to defend this company. We do some things wrong, but we do some things right. And maybe in a, in a not so uh, subtle way, encouraging talent that have issues to maybe go to him to see if he can't help them find that fire and, and, and improve their situation. But, you know, that was just me, you know, obser- observing here, you know, based off of years of punditing and all those things. Um, but do you think there's anything idea- to the idea of Seth Rollins in this moment stepping up as a locker room leader in WWE? I think he, I think he wants to based on uh, how he's owning this and, and kind of carrying the company's reputation on his back on, on Twitter. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. That's that shows that Seth is very passionate about, um, where he works, about what he believes in, and and so too Will Osprey and and the other side of the fence are very passionate about New Japan and and all of their other commitments. Jericho is obviously passionate about All Elite. It, it's such an interesting time for the business, and, and it, it, it's really when I say this, I, I I include fans as well as talent, as well as everybody involved. You really don't need. To pick a side, everybody can be happy doing what they're doing. Um, Dean Ambrose not being happy in WWE isn't necessarily a reflection of WWE being a terrible working environment. It is not necessarily a reflection of Dean Ambrose being an insubordinate, uh, uh, um, you know, independent contractor. It, it doesn't need to be white and black, cut and dry, one or the other. Um, but it's turning into that certainly. Fans are already, I, I've seen, debating about how soon AEW will put WWE out of business, which is absurd, by the way, or vice versa. Um, so it, it, it's time, as Stephen Colbert used to say on his cable show, pick a side, we're at war. Uh, I don't see a war yet, but people are still picking their sides. And Seth Rollins has his boots firmly entrenched in Team WWE. And I think that only does more to get more eyeballs on him and help him in the long term. I just, you know, as a Texan, I, the way you vivid, bravo, vividly portrayed the situation there, Joe, I just imagine I'm in the Alamo, Davy Crockett, he's got his sword out, he, he draws the line in the sand, and he says, you're either in or you're out, and I think it was three guys took off and they lived. So wait, actually, maybe this is a terrible idea. Maybe this is the wrong metaphor for me to be using in this moment. It's uh, a war of attrition. Only the strong will survive. All right. Well, let's talk about the WWE product here a little bit that Seth is so vehemently defending. Of course, we had stomping grounds this past Sunday night. Uh, Seth here, I think uh, I think we can say that the, the nexus of this, the crux of his uh, waving of the WWE flag, maybe came from the reports people seem to be dwelling on going into stomping grounds about the low interest in this show. Now, uh, the attendance for stomping grounds in Tacoma, Washington, not very strong. Uh, at least half the arena was tarped off here. I mean, this is a venue that holds 18,000 people. The Observer reporting that tickets sold for the event uh, around 4,500 to 5,000 tickets, uh, with estimates being there were maybe six-ish thousand people at the show, so a third of the building, the tickets sold here. So, you know, first of all, you know, what did you make of all of the negativity kind of going into the show and really, I thought, how it over-delivered by the end of the night? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it did seem like for all intents and purposes, the the uh, pay-per-view overachieved. It got a lot better uh, online marks than uh, a lot of people expected going in. Uh, 
But what it comes down to is when your product is hot, you can do no wrong. And when your product is cold, it's a lot harder to dig yourself out of that hole. And to a lot of people right now, that product is is very cold. And there's not much you're going to be able to put out there on paper sans for pulling out a special stipulation or a special attraction talent to really get people motivated and buzzed. So what could you have put on paper that would have excited people if the week-to-week product isn't? It certainly isn't Baron Corbin. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, here, wait. I'll be getting into it here. Well, the great – let's talk the Baron Corbin match here because this – I thought the main event got very mixed uh, reactions. Baron Corbin picked Lacey Evans here as his guest referee. Big swerve. They'd tease maybe Brock or Heyman or something like that. Now, of course, Lacey lost to Becky earlier. Becky is Seth's girlfriend – so there was, you know, some emotional context to this here with Lacey, you know, trying to get one over on Seth to avenge the loss she had earlier in the night. Uh, and this is leading to, you know, Seth did overcome the odds with the help of Becky. Long story short, on Raw last night, we found out Lacey and Corbin are going to face Rollins and Lynch intergender tag team match. Winner take all for both the titles uh, with PWInsider.com also noting here recently that WWE has plans to push the Seth and Becky relationship hard on WWE TV. Now you talk about like, what can you do on paper other than stipulations and stuff? Is, is this a viable way you think to bring fans back to the product by pushing a real life couple in, in Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch? I mean, I think it's a start. I don't think they've really done anything compelling with it on television yet. It, it, there wasn't any sort of dramatic build to revealing or announcing it. It was just kind of there at some point for cannon fodder and promos, there really hasn't been any type of interaction other than, I guess, now them sharing a ring together and having some cutesy banner back and forth. But there really hasn't been any depth to the relationship or any different side of the characters shown uh, as a result of a relationship. I don't know how deep you'd want to go in that anyway, uh, because Becky Lynch as a character has been, you know, pretty no-nonsense, pretty much a hard-ass. And I don't know how much of a soft side... You want to show there. I mean, this this type of match isn't something that will necessarily bring fans back. But I mean, with the right story and the right hook, um, relationships have always, you know, typically um, been able to draw. Marriages have drawn. Um, real life conflict has drawn. Uh, you know, as the old saying goes, I've heard Kevin Sullivan say it. I, I don't know if he invented it or not, but you tell the truth as long as you can. So the fans will eventually believe the lie. So I think I think wrestling is at its best. And I know a million people have a million different opinions in this day and age when I say this. But wrestling is at its best when it's grounded in reality. And when there's a base that you can believe and, and invest in. And that'll give you a lot more leeway to think well outside the box. But I do want to ask you a phraseology question because you had said it's an intergender match. Has, has it been confirmed it is an intergender match as opposed to a mixed tag? No, well, okay, thank you for correcting me. Yes, I believe it'll be a mixed tag. I still think that they've got lines drawn where you have to tag in the men and, and women stuff. I only said intergender because there's men and women involved, but you're right, it's a mixed tag. Uh, I don't think the men and the women can get in the ring at, at the same time. At least I would not anticipate that. Um, but the idea of Lacey and Corbin here, uh, as the champions intriguing, but I wanted to get to, uh, something else you had said there, how you don't know how soft you want to make the Becky character. Now, 
my girlfriend, you know, she'll sometimes be around when I'm watching wrestling. Obviously, doesn't have to because it's not her job, but she'll watch from time to time. And I showed her, you know, what they're doing with Becky and Seth, and she like immediately was like, "I hate this." Because now Becky's just the girlfriend, and before she was like this ass kicker, and I just thought that was a very interesting reaction from her because I'd really think I'd really thought of it in those terms, right? Um, but I mean, I, I do think there's something to the idea of what you just said here. Are, are they making a risk by softening Becky Lynch and putting her in this relationship? Because it does. I think it's going to start to feel a little jarring here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes uh, it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint to want to wanna bring that forward because. These are two characters that the audience cares about. But at the end of the day, Seth and Becky as characters don't need each other. Yeah. It's it's like back in the day when the WWF flirted with the idea of putting Sable with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, that was something that was, you know, bantered about for a while. And I think until Sable and or Austin, depending on, on the timeline, you know, one of them had gotten red hot beyond recognition beyond any expectation to a point where they realize that they don't need to do that because these are two viable draws on their own i mean we've seen a you know we've seen a tease of a rock trish stratus relationship on camera that you know happened for a cup of coffee to get them to a story point but was never really anything long term because rock and trish are are draws in and of themselves and you know, you, you talked about, is this something to bring the audience back? You need a credible quality story with it. I, I don't see it there now. If there's one in the works, great. Um, but but if not, you don't want to cut the legs off of two hot acts and put them together if, if, if it's going to if it's going to, you know, uh, uh, cut off their steam. This makes sense. The, 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 the Corbin Lacey deal makes sense, but it's if you're going to do it long term, you need something to hook them. And I'm not hooked yet. And I don't think a lot of people are either. Well, but OK, so and we got to put a button on this. I enjoy talking to you so much, Joe. We have so much to get to here. Uh, but this is like a big story. And, you know, for me, Lacey and Corbin, I agree there is there. It makes sense, which I don't hate. You know, I saw people online saying, you know, this felt very attitude era esque in some ways just because it was unexpected. And you were playing with the, the cards you had at the table. Um, and Lacey and Corbin here somehow pulling out the win. They bo- they get both the titles. Is this Does this become more compelling with Seth and Becky chasing after Lacey and Corbin to get those titles back? Does that make this more of a, a, a bigger hook for you? Is that the direction you would go? I mean, booking 101 says the money's in the chase for a babyface uh, champion. But I don't think Corbin is the guy because Corbin has the stigma of what's wrong with the product. And that's not to say that it's Corbin's fault. And that's not to say that he is what's wrong with the product, but he was publicly on air blamed for tanking ratings as general manager. He's, he's pretty much the de facto face of the stale rote product today based on how they've, they've overused him and really haven't freshened up or repackaged him since they went all in on Corbin. So I don't think Corbin's the guy but I think that um, that ideology, there is something to that because you have pretty much top babyface champions across the board right now. And while that is pretty common in WWE history, when you think about Bruno, Backlund, Hogan, etc., um, wrestling booking 101 with the Ric Flairs of the world, um, the babyface has to have something to chase and something to be attained. And by the way, how telling is it? 
that when something unexpected happens, we have to draw back 20 years in history to compare compare it to something. Well, I mean, if that's just whatever it is. You know, if everybody wants to go back to their glory days and compare everything to that. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but, but I mean, to say, oh, that was unexpected, it reminds me of the Attitude Era. Mm. To, to say nothing unexpected has happened in the past 20 years is either a jaded look by the fans or a very, very problematic issue for the company. Well, let's talk about something I think that may be a little problematic. And you tell me if it is or not here. Now, Ricochet captured the WWE United States Championship at Stomping Grounds. And, you know, a lot of people have been clamoring for Ricochet to finally get a big push here, right? Uh, the man he beat, Samoa Joe, uh, has now moved into the world title picture. He attacked Kofi Kingston on Raw. It looks like he'll face him at Extreme Rules. And he also lost to AJ Styles on Raw. It's just a little odd to me that, like, you're going to, uh, quote, unquote, push this guy, give him the title. But the guy he beat gets a bigger opportunity, and the next night he actually loses to a bigger star. What can we glean from the way they booked Ricochet here from stomping grounds to the end of Raw? I mean, I think that's a little bit of overthinking, but at the same time, I I'm not a fan of any type of champion losing unless it's uh, a, a, a non-title match to a future challenger or it's a match versus a um, more prominent champion. If Ricochet had lost to Kofi or Seth, I wouldn't have taken any issue with that. Um, and, and really, AJ isn't that big of an issue because he's thought of on that same level. Right. But at the same time, it, it devalues the title in the sense that, well, AJ had just proven he can beat the U.S. champion, yeah. but now he's going to do literally nothing to try to get the U.S. title. He doesn't care. Yeah. And that, that's a very odd uh, odd flex, so to speak, to, to show on the air. You know, back in the day, the U.S. title, you know, it was held by guys like Sting and Ric Flair and, and you know, after they'd held the world title because it was still prestigious and it still mattered. And in, in, in our fun little world of pro wrestling, it still means more money and more main events and more high-profile matches. Um, you know, the, the Samoa Joe issue, I mean, I, it's not without precedent, that you drop the secondary title and then move on to challenge for the top title. Um, obviously, Joe's built up a lot of trust and, and there's emotional investment from the audience. It may have been a bit abrupt or a bit um, staggered the way they did it. Um, but I, again, I don't think that's without precedence. Um, we just compared the Attitude Era two minutes ago. Back in the Attitude Era, The Rock lost the Intercontinental title to Triple H, and he immediately started a monster push to the top. Right. Um, they needed to get the title off of Joe to free him up for the Kofi program. Um, how they did it, the timing they did it, I, I don't see an issue with that. But again, we're living in such a culture where when the product's cold, everybody's going to want to nitpick and tear things apart. But Joe is a great opponent for Kofi. Um, I just hope that they do more to make the U.S. title mean what it could. Ricochet does not have the charisma to himself take that title to a new level. The title has to help make him. And with that, the title has to mean as much as possible. Yes, amen. I believe I, I believe that as well. And it, it surprised me, too, because, you know, AJ's whole thing with the club recently has been, you know, knocking them because they've been able to get the job done. I thought this was a layup here for Ricochet to look strong, and then AJ and the club can commiserate and figure out whatever they need to do to get back on track in WWE. I mean, it, it was just weird to me because that's the way I read the tea leaves. And, I mean, AJ could have lost and not – been hurt as a character. AJ's pretty much bulletproof at this point. Um, 
But I, I guess it, it comes down to how much do they want to invest in Ricochet, how much do they want to invest in the U.S. title. What was that match put out there simply to soothe and massage the uh, angry internet fan? Is there yes. a, a vision of Ricochet on that level? Do they just want a workhorse match? Um, I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, I think AJ could take a loss at this point and be completely fine. Um, I don't know how deep they're going to go with the Gallows and Anderson connection. That's something they've always seemed to flirt with and never really pulled a long-term trigger on. Um, again, AJ doesn't need Gallows and Anderson, um, but the uh, the spotlight would certainly help them as they've been treading water for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know what the direction is here. AJ could have easily turned heel on Ricochet and joined the club. Um, uh, more of a uh, definitive way rather than just be kind of the angel on their shoulders. There's a lot of ways to have gone, and the way they chose was the most predictable way, which seems like a running theme. Yeah. Uh, well, here's something that was uh, not so predictable. Last big news item I thought coming out of Stomping Grounds, we had another title change. Uh, Drew Gulak, now the WWE Cruiserweight Champion. He defeated Tozawa and uh, former champion Tony Nese in an incredible kickoff show about i really enjoyed this one i was uh, happy that drew got the title here and man has this guy worked to just transform his body he looks i've never seen him look this uh, i guess a beefy before i mean he's a bigger dude now and it almost it, it seems weird to me that he's the cruiserweight champion he seems too big to be the cruiserweight champion he's done such a good job uh, transforming his body well and honestly that's always been my critique with the cruiserweight division in that there's really no tangible way to separate them from the heavyweights because the likes of Drew Gulak and Tony Nese are of comparable size to a Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, or Finn Balor. And stylistically, everybody's doing every move in the book anyway these days. It's not like back in the day when you needed to have the Rey Mysterios, the Eddie Guerreros, the Dean Malenkos uh, in a separate swimming pool than the Kevin Nashes and Hulk Hogan's and Roddy Piper's. Yeah. Uh, everybody can can play in the same sandbox now, and that's that's why I've been critical of the cruiserweight division. But I am very happy for Drew Gulak. I've, I've I've known him and followed his career for a number of years. He's always been somebody who's worked his ass off and has has perfected uh, the in ring game. You talked about uh, cosmetically and physically all the work he's put in as well. Um, I don't like to use the word deserves in a lot of ways because really that word does not hold as much meaning as people think in pro wrestling. But Drew certainly does deserve this opportunity in every sense of the word. He's put in the work. He's made himself stand out. And now he's reaping the benefits. I think he's going to be I think he's going to be so good for the 205 Live division. No knock on Tony Nese, who's an incredible athlete, you know, looks like an action figure taken out of the box. But doesn't I didn't ever really have the personality kind of like you said with the with the ricochet thing where the the title was helping to make him. I think Drew's going to do a lot for this title because I think Drew just has such a personality where you know he's going to be able to do viral videos with this thing. He's going to be able to cut compelling promos. I think that he's going to be somebody that's going to help make feuds more entertaining. You know when you have some of these more uh, straightforward white meat baby faces in the two hundred five live division. So I'm excited to see Drew on top. I agree. Does the word deserve? Thrown around a lot, but he certainly is uh, deserving of this opportunity. Uh, the Undertaker, the Undertaker, made a surprise appearance the night after Stomping Grounds at Raw. Uh, he helped Roman Reigns fend off Shane 
and Drew in the two-on-one handicap match that Shane had put Roman in. Uh, it looks like uh, it's been announced that The Undertaker is going to team with Roman Reigns against Shane and Drew at Extreme Rules. Joe, this was one of the best things I've seen on Raw in a while. I thought this caught everybody by surprise and was exactly the way they need to be using Legends uh, in WWE at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, we just talked about the unpredictable nature that the show needs and, and you need to be unpredictable. And we also talked about bringing in outside attractions to uh, help get disenfranchised fans to sample the product. And, uh, you know, I, I look at this as, as twofold beyond that as well. This is a great way to give Roman a rub potentially and get more support in his uh, wheelhouse. I think a, a lot of, a lot of the fans that abandoned Roman or decided that Roman was being force-fed probably did so about the time Roman beat Undertaker at WrestleMania. Uh, if not before, that was certainly an icing on the cake. So uh, a bit of a rub from Undertaker, kind of like the the endorsement of Cena when Cena had first shown up, uh, may be a, a big positive uh, to Roman Reigns. And not only that, I, I'm sure this will be an effective way to wash out the bad taste of Undertaker Goldberg from a lot of people's mouths as well. Yeah, uh, agreed. And, uh, you know, with this at the same time, though, you know, looking forward, it does seem like Roman and Shane, uh, or it sounds like this is going to keep going here, maybe even as far as SummerSlam. I mean, what do you do here with these uh, with these four men at Extreme Rules here? Is this a chance, like you said, for Undertaker and Rain to give Reigns the rub here with a win? Or do we see more shenanigans with Shane and Drew pulling out a victory and, and get more heat rolling into SummerSlam? I mean, if, if SummerSlam's the end game, then you have to leave the baby faces with some sort of retribution to attain. If it's extreme rules, you have a lot more potential um, to play with as far as tricks, as far as run-ins, as far as anything you want to do. I mean, with how protected Roman and Undertaker are, um, Drew pinning either one in a high-profile environment uh, could really, really help make him and solidify him as a top guy, which it seems like we're on the way to doing. Yeah. And the the longer you're in a program with the likes of Roman and Taker, I mean, the more the spotlight's on you. That's that's not a bad thing. If the people are going to be into this and you're going to have um, as many polarizing entities as you have, um, might as well ride it for what it's worth. Uh, also on Raw last night, we got our latest Firefly Funhouse teases. Now, no more vignettes, but we got, if you were, if you're looking closely, you may have seen a couple Easter eggs. Now, Abby the Witch was spotted in a brief segment when The Miz was walking backstage. We also saw Kofi backstage at one point shoveling pancakes behind his world title belt, and Mercy the Buzzard was spotted, popped up there in the background. Uh, I totally dig this. Uh, where do you think they're going with Bray Wyatt and with these little teases, Joe? I don't know, and that's the best possible answer I can give because I I, I don't want to know. I just want to be along for that ride. Yeah. Um, I think uh, having him target multiple baby faces keeps that mystique up. Uh, they're not giving you a tell. They're not they're not really even acknowledging and referencing this to a point where it is a a, a major story point. Yet, obviously, we're planting the seeds for a major story point, but um, 
I don't know if these characters are going to be viable outside of the funhouse or not. By the way, I was watching Waylon Mercy yesterday, okay. an old episode of WF Action Zone. Sure. Man, that was ahead of its time. How cool would Waylon Mercy have been sure. in the Attitude Era if Danny Spivey had, had been a little bit younger and healthier? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I also like what you were saying about how Bray could be targeting multiple baby faces here. You know, one thing that, that stood out as I was looking at, uh, next to each other, Kofi and Miz, both dads, right? Both have kids. Like, I, I still think there's something to the brainwashing element that Bray Wyatt is doing with the children. Doesn't surprise me at all to, to see him maybe targeting dads. Just, just throwing that out there. Um, but, yes, there's your latest Firefly Funhouse teases for the week. Joe, uh, this next story here is something I was definitely looking forward to talking to you about. Uh, the Wrestling Observer was the first to report it, though a couple other outlets jumped in with more details. We'll get to these here in just a second. But the Observer first report that WWE reportedly no longer will have wrestling during commercials. Now, Vince apparently held a meeting last week at WWE TV where he made the announcement. Uh, that is why last week's shows, uh, Raw and SmackDown, featured these two out of three falls matches, uh, and Raw had an elimination match last night, so you could kind of stop the action, restart the action here for the next fall, next elimination, whatever. Uh, Post-wrestling, Pollock and Waiting, uh, they're reporting the idea is that legitimate sports don't play during the breaks, like football. The NFL, they stop the action, they restart the action there after the commercial. So WWE is adjusting their match presentation. It was also noted uh, that there would still be matches on SmackDown that would run through commercial breaks when they do the little picture-in-picture gimmick that features the commercial and the action at the same time. So it, it'll be a little different on SmackDown. Then, Pro Wrestling Illustrated reported that WWE... Also considering the idea of maybe trying out matches with multiple rounds. Uh, there's no words yet on if they will move forward on that idea, but it was pitched at some point in the last few weeks, and the idea would be similar to the old European round system. Now, back here to the Observer, many backstage were caught off guard by this announcement, especially how nonchalantly Vince just kind of threw it out there. There are a lot of people think that this may not be able to sustain. This idea could be dropped very soon. There's also speculation this could be an idea that was given to them from Fox, which, of course, apparently uh, it was Fox or NBC that came to Vince with, like, the 24-7 title, I guess. Um, this new edict will likely see various ideas done to make sure there is no wrestling done during the commercials, such as DQ finishes, restarts, what we saw with AJ in the club last night with the match getting restarted, uh, which may or may not come off good on TV. Uh, there's also a significant concern that this new idea will really kill the live crowds worse than uh, we have seen recently, which at times have been pretty bad. All right, a lot out there. Joe, what do you what do you make of this uh, decision Vince has, Vince has made to not do the wrestling and, and find ways to, to find ways to not do wrestling during commercials? Well, I, I think it has a tendency to be like a lot of WWE ideas, being that it is great on paper, but they're going to overdo it to death and kill it off inadvertently. Um, I, I get the idea I, I, and you needed some type of change because the formula of big baby face dive, cut the break, have Michael Cole say that somebody's rolling back from break, heel as baby face in a chin lock, lather, rinse, repeat by rote. You can call it before it comes. You can feel the tone. You can feel the, you can feel the commercial break coming 15 to 20 seconds before it gets here. You needed some type of change, but I, I think this idea can work in isolated incidents, but if they're doing it multiple times a week just to find an excuse to get out of a match, it's going to it's gonna already within a, a matter of a few weeks come off forced, 
come off inorganic, um, you know, just, just come off beaten into the ground. Um, I don't know why we keep comparing everything to the Attitude Era this hour, but we are. Back in the Attitude Era, Vince Russo made it a point to not have any match go into a commercial break, and every segment was a standalone segment. That's harder to do now. Um, because matches are so much longer. So this is not like a new, like you're saying, historically there's a precedent here where at a successful time in pro wrestling, they were basically structuring their show like what we're describing here at the moment. In a sense, but but the idea of the Attitude Era was have every segment uh, uh, kind of be inclusive of itself, and then at the end of the segment, you have some kind of a hook to make people stay tuned to find out what's next. But they never bridged matches from segment to segment, like you're still doing now, right? Um, albeit not with any action in the middle during the commercial break. Uh, if you do it too much, it's going to come off forced. Uh, wrestling is not like any other sport or any other form of entertainment. It exists in its own bubble, and it's something you can do here and there when it makes sense, but if you're doing it two, three times a week, uh, you know, let alone two, three times an episode, um how many excuses are you going to have to pull out of your ass to make that work? Sure. Round system, there's precedence to that. It's never worked in this country. Um, they tried to do it in syndication in the mid-90s with the American Wrestling Federation, AWF Warriors of Wrestling. Um, they really didn't have great clearance. They had decent clearance. And they had a lot of recognizable stars like Tito Santana, Sergeant Slaughter, Bob Orton, guys like that. But it never really got anywhere. It never really gained traction um, because wrestling is so much momentum based and it's so much of just a continual ebb and flow of a story that if you awkwardly throw in rounds or commercial breaks, a lot of times you're taking away more than you're adding to it. So I agree with the people that that think this is probably not going to be a uh, long-term idea. I think they're playing with it, but they're probably going to realize that you're going to run out of excuses to stop the match for four minutes by, uh, you know, by too long. Yeah, well, and sustainability, that's something I, I, I argue as well. You know, and it was interesting because I put out a tweet at the end of Raw last night, you know, I say asking everyone, what do you think of this no wrestling during the commercials gimmick they're doing right now? And I was uh, a bit surprised by how many tweets I got back last night from people saying, this was one of the best Raws I've watched in a while. I enjoyed this Raw. And I will say for myself, like, my uh, my girlfriend got off work late last night. She had a good day at the office. I had a pretty good day yesterday. We went down to this local bar, had a couple drinks. I started Raw about a half hour late because of that. And, you know, I'm used to if I start a half hour late, I can usually catch up to where I need to be in the show pretty quickly, right? You just buzz through a couple segments. It was much harder for me to... Uh, have to, to to fast forward for any length of time because I had to stop, start repeatedly because I knew they weren't going to be going to commercials. I thought, you know, as skeptical as I was, I thought it was I thought it was pretty effective last night. Can it sustain? I don't know. I wonder the same thing about the twenty four seven championship. That was what I said when they started doing this. I'm like, our truth is great. I don't know how you can keep coming up with ideas to make this thing maintain interest for for any length of time before they get up, give up on it, and find another shiny toy. But this also, in the moment at least, is working pretty well. 
Um, I'll real quickly run through everybody through the 24-7 championship, what they did this past week with it. You know, Drake lost the title to R-Truth at his wedding. Fantastic segment. Uh, apparently, according to, to PW Insider, Maverick pitched the idea to WWE. They loved it. By the way, that wasn't their actual wedding. They had to film it. And then uh, they, they did the official nuptials. And then his wife stuck around to do the segment there with Drake for WWE. Time out real quick. Joe, what do you think of the dedication of Drake Maverick to, uh, to allow WWE to come in and make it his wedding in an actual segment? Well, I, I've known Drake Maverick for almost 14 years now, dating back to, to when I met him over in the UK. And he was still, even before he was rock star spud, he was just spud. And I've always been impressed by his mind. I've always been impressed by his dedication to the business. Uh, Drake Maverick is somebody that literally had everything going against him. He was five foot three and 130 pounds. He lived in Europe. He, um, you know, didn't really have a, a, a viable way to get buzz on him, to get attention on him. And, and the business has changed so much now and is less size-oriented than ever. And, and so many different talents, like a Marco Stunt, for example, yeah. um, are getting so much attention earlier. It's tough to frame exactly how hard that was to get a major company to notice you when you didn't have, quote-unquote, what they were looking for. Um, Spud, Maverick, whatever you want to call him, um, could have quit. Um by the the uh, insistence of, of probably many vets and insiders, maybe should have quit at once upon a time. But he has done so much to transform himself as a performer. He's done so much to better himself in every measurable way. And I could not be prouder of him, not just professionally, but certainly happy to see him happy and and, and married and, and, and you know, um, having as much success personally as he is professionally. And he is a utility guy that can do anything you need to, whether it's, it's, it's in a creative capacity, in ring manager, general manager, mouthpiece, hell impacted, made him the ring announcer for a few months. There's nothing this guy can't do. And uh, every time he's on television, I smile because I think back to everything he had to go through to get there. Well, Maverick was on Raw. He uh, called out Truth after what looked like a bender of a weekend. He told Truth that he hadn't even consummated his marriage with his wife yet because they were she was so distraught that her wedding was crashed like this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, called out Truth, lost pretty quick. Uh, Slater then pinned Truth later on in Raw to win the title, but Truth quickly won it back to begin his eighth title reign. Cedric Alexander would then pin Truth later in the show to win the title before EC3 beat Cedric, only for Truth to pin EC3 to start his ninth title reign before taking off with Carmella onto what will probably be the shenanigans on SmackDown. So getting back to what I said and what we were talking about, sustainability, this idea of not going to commercials with wrestling, uh, having a, a, a fun 24-7 segment seemingly on, on both shows every week, are these ideas sustainable? I mean, or, or do you think we're looking at things that are going to be burned out and done in six months? I don't, I don't think this idea is going to be a burnout anytime soon as long as there's enough time and attention and, and, and tender loving care put into it. There's so many ways you can go with it. There's so many uh, different avenues you can explore. I'm happy that we're at least starting to have a little more action in the segments than just the dreaded roll up of doom. Uh, we're actually seeing finishes. We're actually seeing uh, uh, more uh, 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 depth to 
these quote-unquote matches. Um, but uh, you look back at, at the day, and again, you know, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, it's it's the running theme of the program. But Crash Holly got so over doing this. Yeah. And they did so much, whether it's him sliding down, the, the kids slide into the ball pit, whether it's him at the laundromat, whether it's him getting a knock on his hotel room door, whatever the case was, there, there were there were no limits to what you could do with Crash, and Crash was a perfect foil because he was a cartoon character come to life. R-Truth, uh, in a lot of ways, can be that over-the-top character that you can put in any situation, and he'll make it entertaining, and just how he reacts and plays off of it will work. Um, I, I think we need a little more action other than the roll-up. Um, I know they don't want it to necessarily be a hardcore title, but when you're out of the confines of a wrestling ring... You kind of can't help but utilize some type of, as Dusty Rhodes would say, plunder, if you will. Um, and as long as it's, as long as the segments continue to be creative and it's not just the Benny Hill chase scene every week, and you know they're able to to, to think outside the box and and just put more depth and substance into what they're doing. I think the 24 seven can have a very long shelf life. All right. Well, uh, obviously we've been talking here about some moves, money moves that WWE is making here, changing up the pacing of their shows, introducing this new element of the 24 seven championship. It does feel like the stew is warming up a bit. As you said, it is hard to reheat things up when they, when they go cold, but there's a reason they're doing some things different here. We do have an update on AEW here for the show. Uh, they have filed a trademark for Wednesday night dynamite, possibly revealing what night of the week they could debut, debut this October on TNT Wednesday night. Um, you know, just your thoughts in general about them, the picking this night, it looks like for their show. And, uh, you know, is WWE setting the table here, uh, to better themselves as they go into, to the AEW stuff, you know, cause when I, when I saw this, for, by the way, when I saw the uh, commercial stuff, no wrestling to the commercials, one thought that did pop into my head was this could be an opening for AEW to say, we do longer matches here. We don't just try to shove them all into 10, 12-minute segments. Uh, I didn't know if that's a benefit that for AEW with, with the decisions WWE's making. I mean, it, it, it could be depending on how deep they dive with it, but I don't think we're in a position yet where WWE is doing anything as a result of AEW. AEW is still very unproven. It's still very much an idea more so than, than a tangible entity. Um, you know, the, the, I remember when um, NWA TNA had first formed and they asked Vince on Bite This, is it competition? And Vince was very professional and respectful and, and didn't, uh, say anything negative, but at the same time, he his, his idea was basically let's wait and see what they do and have them, you know, run an event before we actually judge them. Obviously, AEW's run an event and there's more to come, but weekly television is a whole different animal and uh, it's not going to be directly opposed Raw and SmackDown, nor should it be. So WWE, to me, their top priority needs to be NBC Universal and Fox and keeping them happy and keeping the numbers as strong as possible, which is going to be very difficult to do um, in such a climate of oversaturation. If I'm WWE, that's my number one concern. AEW, I don't think they're even second at this point. If they could become a priority, but not yet. You can't battle against something when you don't even know what they're doing yet. 
Yeah. Uh, loved the bite this reference, by the way. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a bite this reference on, on the Winkly. Uh, well, Wrestling Nick, we were the first to confirm WWE writer Ryan Alpert uh, has left the company to pursue outside projects and opportunities. Uh, Ryan had been on WWE TV as the New Day's Mr. Bootiesworth. He'd been at the company for three years. Uh, and uh, as soon as we know more about uh, Ryan's upcoming plans, we will uh, let you know here on the show. Uh, ProWrestlingSheet.com also uh, reporting Mojo Raleigh has re-signed with WWE. Uh, it looks to be a five-year deal since that's uh, the r- reported time that wwe looking to sign talents now or re-sign talents too uh what do you think of mojo rally do you do you, what would what would you do with this guy or would you do anything with this guy i mean i think there's something there with mojo because he's got such a, a legitimate athletic background and obviously brings a lot of energy with him um i don't know what they're trying to do now with this uh whatever it was him talking to a mirror and now he's got the the the, the kind of cracked glass face paint going for him. Sure. There's there's been really not a lot of, of context given to me to make me care. Um, Mojo's one of those guys who's a victim of the circumstance he's in. The roster is so bloated. Uh, they need to give time to the top guys with the wild card rule. Uh, and there's not a lot of time to develop Mojo into something tangible. Um, Mojo just needs, he needs a story. He needs TV time. He needs a shot to sink or swim because he has not gotten that since he's left Zack Ryder. Um, if you're going to keep him around, give him a chance to be something. If not, he's just going to tread water. Uh, the observer reporting Rusev has asked for some time off. Uh, it's expected he'll be back soon. And regarding that report, Rusev claimed you've been fed the wrong information. Dirt sheets responds to a fan uh, who uh, he also responded to a fan who asked him if he's frustrated about the push Shane is getting. He said, I'm not. It's normal. He is the boss's son. Uh, yet another uh, superstar of the roster making uh, interesting comments on Twitter. Uh, my, my favorite Rusev tweet there was when uh, a fan said something to the effect of, what a world we live in where an employee is openly knocking his own company. And Rusev wrote back, I'm not an employee. Yes, he did. There were there were a couple tweets there from Rusev over the weekend. Him and Big E, what entertaining big men on Twitter. Uh, one big man who's also now back on Twitter, uh, Lars Sullivan, reactivated his Twitter account, has not tweeted anything yet. The Observer is also reporting Lars underwent successful surgery this past Thursday. Of course, he uh, will be out, or it sounds like around six to nine months, but... Could be back, uh, should be back in time for WrestleMania next year. Uh, Chris Jericho claimed on his latest podcast that Ricochet called him asking to use the code breaker since his 630 finisher uh, has started to give him pain since he had to do it every night. So this will be his secondary finisher. Jericho said he approved of the idea. He just asked him to change the name uh, when he does it. Uh, How cool that this stuff uh, still exists in pro wrestling, Joe. This hasn't gone by the wayside where you just use moves. There's still the code amongst wrestlers that... Uh, to get that kind of approval to do this stuff. And, you know, I mean, as it should be, you don't want to disrespect your veterans. You don't want to uh, take something without asking. There is a hierarchy. There is a pecking order, so to speak, uh, in the business. And obviously Jericho, uh, you know, claims and earns a ton of respect. So uh, cool on Ricochet for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And uh, the Observer reporting WWE has interest in Jacob Fatu. Now, Fatu is currently signed to MLW. He's going to face Tom Lawler for the MLW Championship 
on July 6th right here in my backyard of Chicago, so I should be at that show. Uh, WWE and AEW both know this guy is going to be a big star. Fatu uh, made his debut back in 2012. He was trained by his uncle, uh, Hall of Famer Rikishi. He's a cousin of the Usos, the son of the Tongan kid, or the Tonga kid, and the nephew of the late Umaga. Now, uh, I have seen Jacob a couple times live in the past couple years. I'm always super impressed by this guy. I watched him do a, a, a dive off the top of a cage here in Chicago at the last MLW tapings they did. Certainly has a feel about him. I also think this guy's going to be a big star. Uh, I know you keep up with talents like him. Joe, what do you make of Jacob Fatu? Well, I, I mean, the entire Anawaii family has always been just athletic freaks and uh, so such second nature uh, for them to to pick up this business. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's just growing up in it, if it's in their blood, if it's genetic, if it's what it is. But uh, I mean, we saw Lance Anawahi, another Roman Reigns cousin yeah. on Raw not too long ago. So, I mean, the, the next generation is certainly being groomed. Um, and, and really, you look at how many people are on that family tree from The Rock to Yokozuna to Samu to Afa and Sika. Uh, WWE has really never gone wrong with any of the family members they've picked up. And uh, I, I see no different if uh, if they wind up grabbing Jacob Fatu. And credit to you or whoever was able to decipher the Anawahi family tree in that story, because I know that gets complicated. Yeah, no, I, I believe it was our own Mark Middleton. Uh, it may have been Raj. I know that uh, Raj jumps in and, and tosses in uh, fun facts there as well. But yeah, we uh, that was that was pulled straight from the Wrestling Inc. report there. Uh, about uh, who Jacob Fatu is. Uh, Carmella uh, took to Instagram to share a photo that she and Graves appear to be actually dating. Of course, this had been rumored uh, after Graves' ex-wife made some uh, disparaging comments about their relationship. But there it is, out in the open. Seems like they're happy, and hopefully everybody is moving on to the next thing. Uh, Also from Twitter, uh, our last two notes here are both from Twitter. John Cena tweeted out, Never stop dreaming. Chasing those dreams requires an incredible amount of work. Never give up. To which EC3 responded, Dreams become nightmares <laughs> they've i mean it's got to make you sad to see what's happened with with ec3 or do you think that they're they're just getting ready to, to rev up and and strap the rocket to this guy i i don't think they get ec3 i don't think they get his humor i don't think they get his charisma i mean we we saw him already overlooked once before in the Derek bateman era and he put in so much effort to reinvent himself in another company, uh, build EC3 from nothing, become a top guy, become a world champion, become somebody that the wrestling world was talking about. And I'm sure it must be frustrating to be kind of right back where he was all these years later. Um I hope whatever he's got in that red solo cup is is pretty strong, my friend, because EC3 is getting a raw deal, no pun intended. Uh, and lastly here, a guy who feels, it seems, that he got a raw deal in WWE, CM Punk. Uh, he took to Twitter to tweet the following, since I can't have fun and tweet about movies or baseball without you telling me about wrestling, question for you, why do you spend your time on something you hate? It's so bad, leave it. I did, works wonders. I look forward to the intellect, uh, intelligent discourse uh, he tweeted to a fan who uh, said that they watch every week. They hold out hope something surprising is going to happen. He told them they have Stockholm Syndrome, uh, a young <laughs> fan. Uh, also, a young fan was asked during Raw, who is the best in the world? They said CM Punk. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, CM Punk seems like uh, the most jaded wrestling fan in the world. This wouldn't give me a lot of hope for AEW. What do you uh, What do you make of CM Punk's uh, current? Uh, I don't know current place in pro wrestling and his thoughts. I mean, I don't think Punk will ever wrestle full time again. I could see him eventually doing something with AEW because that's kind of the the, the rebel anti-establishment spirit of Punk. I think he would do it to quote unquote stick it to the man one day if, if the creative, the money, and the timing was right for him. Uh, but I don't think he has any itch, so to speak. I don't think he has any interest in doing it. Um, I mean, I'm sure Punk is is pretty annoyed uh, to some degree by fans tweeting him to come back daily. It's a really odd relationship where it seems like some fans believe that they're entitled to be able to watch CM Punk every week, regardless of how Punk feels, um, which obviously is not the case. Punk needs to do what's best for Punk. And even if Punk came back tomorrow, it's it's not going to change the culture and it's not going to change the overall scope of the show. Punk tried that already, been there, done that. But I, I do enjoy the fact that Punk is not shy about firing back I, I also enjoyed his tongue-in-cheek tweet to Ron Funches, where he said, Hey, Ron, why don't you do a Netflix special, even though no one has made you an official offer? Why do you keep being a jerk to your fans? Why don't you come host The Tonight Show? Do it. Come on. Obviously mocking people, asking him to whatever they want him to do, join AEW, come back to Raw, etc. Um, I don't know what the relationship is with Punk or the Bucks or Cody. I don't uh, pretend to know. But uh, obviously, uh, Punk and WWE is uh, a pipe dream and a half right now. If he comes back, I think it'll be a one-off, big-money deal, either in AEW or maybe New Japan. But I still don't think we're going to see that anytime soon, unless the allure of Chicago will do anything to um, motivate Punk in a couple months at All Out. My guest at this time is the man who resurrected PCO. He dropped a car battery where his heart should be. It is the one, the only, D. Destro. D. Destro, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here today. It's a pleasure for me, buddy. Oh, my goodness. You know, I've wanted to chat with you for a while because you are such a unique, awesome character right now in in pro wrestling. And you kind of came out of nowhere, Destro. Before we get into all the other stuff I have about what you're doing right now, do you mind telling me and the listeners out there, you know, what is your background like in pro wrestling? Well, I always look at pro wrestling since I was a kid, like uh, Mad Dog Vashon and all those guys. So I grew up listening at uh, old time wrestling. So, and I have uh, the, the advantage to know uh, PCO for a long time. So I always keep an eye on wrestling, always fascinated for me. Okay, and so before you you started resurrecting PCO and doing all this, did you really have any experience in the pro wrestling business? Had you wrestled or managed or anything like that? Well, uh, I did a, a few shows on uh, with WCW with uh, Mark Blondin at RDS in Canada. Just uh, look at the wrestling show and comment and things like that. Okay, so you did some commentary. Is that is that what I should gather? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, now, talk to me about well, talk to me about how you met PCO. Then, when was the first time you met PCO? How did you guys become friendly with one another? Well, I think I met PCO around twenty-five years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We 
often meet, but never really talk, you know, friend, but at the gym. Mm. And uh, he asked me about 20 years ago to help him, but uh, I really wasn't strong, man, and feats of strength, did the Arnold Classic, arm wrestling. So, and my children were so young, so I, I didn't want to go in, in that part of his life, you know. And when he came back, uh, my kids are older, playing hockey, and uh, let's say PCO went in my life at the good timing, you know, because uh, when you're in hockey, arm wrestling and everything and a little bit more quiet and he came to me and I said, yeah, I, I want to help you. And uh, I think uh, my back, back mind is to help him put back the fan with loving uh, wrestling like I used to like it when I was a kid. Now you you brought up the feats of strength. Are you did you do strongman stuff, feats of strength stuff before, and then you were incorporating that with PCO now? Yeah, well, I always like feats of strength, and I met Mark Henry, Dennis Roger in the United States, and uh, Vic Boff. Uh, they they received me at the old time strongman barbell in New York <laughs> just to see if I was really a spike bender and things like that. And uh, when they saw me perform, deck of cards, spike. They said, okay, uh, destroy is for real. And I have that idea to teach PCO feats of strength. That's how it all started. Oh, my God. That's, you know, I, I saw you, of course, WrestleMania, or not WrestleMania, G1 Supercard weekend uh, at Madison Square Garden. I was so happy to finally get to meet you and chat for a bit. And you're jacked. I think that people would be shocked when you flash those guns because you're buried underneath a leather jacket so much, I think, when people see you. You're a very strong man. You're very strong. You're very muscular. Well, well, well the thing is, I was 300 pounds, and uh, I went down to 129 and keep the same strength. And I'm a personal trainer, and I train doctors, and uh, they're so amazed. And I'm 60 years old, and keeping all that strength, they said, uh, how do you do that? Well, I said, I keep training always and uh, keep doing my feats of strength. Um, it's incredible. Just what you're doing is, is incredible. You you look like a freak of nature. Now you uh, <laughs> now you uh, and PCO, let's let's slow it down here a little bit. I want to get into kind of the the myth, the legend that is PCO. Now, for our listeners out there that don't know the story, can you tell me the tale of how D Destro came to resurrect PCO? Well, uh, it's funny because uh, I was doing feats of string and I tie him, tie him with chain on the, the squat cage. And when he came out, he was walking like Frankenstein. I said, hey, man, you're Frankenstein. He looked at me and said, who's Frankenstein? I said, what? You don't know Frankenstein? So I bought all the, the movie of Frankenstein in 1931. I show him that. And he, he was... He had that background of walking like him, and his eyes is like him. So that's why I came with that flash. I said, you're Frankenstein. And what I like at Frankenstein, if you go back, Frankenstein is a good monster. He's only get mad when people after him because he's always kind to children and things like that. So I think that's my best monster. I always like that monster, and I have a friend now who's looking like him. So it's happy for me. Yeah. Now, do you ever – now? How how do you come up with all these training exercises? I mean, do you just have a limited, unlimited bag of tricks when it comes to these strongman exhibitions? 
Yeah, because I, I'm always performing. Let's say uh, when I start Deck of Cards, uh, I saw Dennis, Roger, Dennis Roger with uh, a mitten and doing it. So I had that idea to go with boxing gloves, always performing and always try to be the best of the best and always thinking of something like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a personal favorite strongman uh, exhibition that you like to do that always grabs people? Uh, the spikes are good, but I did something in Canada and, um, stainless steel, I think stainless steel did it too. I used to, uh, bend a penny on TV in front of Mr. Ben Weeder and, uh, Mr. Ben Weeder and Arnold was real impressed when I did that, but you get so much pain in your body because you don't have no glove, no nothing. And it hurts in the bones. But when I bent that penny with my hand, Mr. Ben Weeder said, anyone who can do that i'm gonna give him fifty thousand dollars so i wasn't <laughs> but that was my hardest feat of strength wow do you ever get because uh, like again you're so did pco have a lot of strongman experience before you started teaching him a lot of the stuff that he's doing in these training videos well pco uh, used to be a strongman uh, let's say in the in the gym like bench press he could bench press uh 500 pounds and things like that but he didn't know do, don't know about feats of strength so that's why I'm teaching him. And the first deck of cards he, he tore, it took him about one month. And I show him how, and he practice, practice. And you know that PCO won't, won't let go. You know, if he got something in his head, he's going to do it. So that's the good thing of that student for me. He said, no, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So he, he, he's learning good, and he's getting more power and more power since he's practicing all those stuff. Does he ever like? Does he ever kind of maybe not want to do something? I think back, I guess, most vividly to the uh, the training video where you just threw darts at him, and I just thought no, that... he, he's always a guy who wants more, right? Okay. And sometimes I stop him. I said, no, 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 that's too dangerous. <laughs> but he's always a guy who wants to do more. He's really uh, an athlete, and he's so much determination in his head. He wants to be the world number one. And I said to him, I'm going to bring you the, the best wrestler in the world. That's a, you know, okay, so do you, do you ever get scared when you see him doing some of this stuff? Because I, I have to say, the most recent one you guys did where there was the speeding car that drove into him, and he lifted the front of the car, and this car is just revving its wheels. You know, like it could, it could shoot him in and squash him against that wall at any moment. I mean, how do you not watch that? And be a little terrified uh, for what for what you're looking at right there. Uh, what's that? That's the thing that when we do it, it's always real, right? So we know that something can go wrong. We know every time. So let's say when he he cut his leg, uh, it wasn't supposed to be that way, but he, he cut really bad, and he's got so much determination. He said, "No, no, we're finishing that video," and he was bleeding. My wife saw him. She was panicking. He's going to bleed to that. I said, I know, but he wanted to finish the video. But it's things that can happen, you know, but we're trying real hard. Don't injure him. But something terrifying sometimes happen, and that's the name of the game. you got to do it. And uh, like I said to, to you, he really wants to do it. So let's go for it. Has Ring of Honor ever reached out and been like, hey, you guys are, <laughs> we need PCO for shows. Please do not kill this man. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always telling him that. No, no, 
that's too much. I don't want to kill you. And uh, everybody's nervous around my place. And like I told you, I train doctors. And every morning the doctors uh, watch out for PCO, Mike. I say, I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching. But it's like, I think the crazy guy, but I think he's crazier than me because sometimes I have to stop and no, not that, not that. So I say, yeah, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> so we're having fun anyway. I can hear the fun in your voice. Hey, let's talk about something else that was really fun you guys got to do, and that was play Madison Square Garden. What was your experience like getting to resurrect PCO in the garden like that? Well, you know what I say? Uh, when we're going to die, everybody, the only thing's coming with us is our souvenir, right? Yeah. Everything stay on the planet. So that's so much nice souvenir that I got with that guy. And you know what? Every video that I'm, we're doing, I got a picture of each video. And one day I'm going to look at that. And I know that we're going to finish and look at our souvenir. But Madison Square Garden, wow. That was really impressive because all those people, the fans and everything, you got goosebumps on your body everywhere, and you know that you're living a dream, right? So it's so wonderful doing things like that, and people so happy to see PCO. Destro is real happy when he sees that. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things real quick about that entrance. First of all, whose idea was that? Was that yours, PCO's, Ring of Honors? That was a very unique uh, opening you guys had, or intro to the ring. Uh, what did you say? It cut. Who- Who's, uh, whose idea was it to do the uh, electric chair spot at Madison Square Garden? Was that you, PCO, or Ring of Honor? Yeah, yeah, it's me and PCO who had that idea. So because I saw that, that in the movie that Frankenstein was in the chair, I said to him, that would be good to have that chair on the stage. And uh, it worked real good because people believe in it. He was uh, on that chair almost dead. Now, you you do the, the car battery spot a lot where you, you click the, the ends together and they spark up. Um, th- do you ever worry you might accidentally like actually electrocute somebody? I don't know. Like I watch it. I'm paranoid though. I got a lot of neuroses. So, well, well, like I told you, I train a lot of doctors, and it, they're all the guys who's teaching me that. They told me that never cross the heart and things like that. Let's say that that four inches uh, half, half four inches and a half spike in his nose. The doctor told teach me how to do it right because I I put that nail. In his nose with a hammer Jesus. but i went at the hospital they teach me they they make me look at how it's built inside of the nose and what to do so we really uh be careful because i got a lot of uh good doctors with me but anything can happen right it sounds like uh the the hart family uh in the in, in canada up there you guys well i guess you're canadian too that doesn't make why are canadians so crazy i guess is my question for you what is it about the great white north that pushes all of you to uh to do these these <laughs> well i don't know if it's only canadian because my dad is american oh. so my, i'm half american so. <laughs> okay okay because it's like i hear the hart family they had like bears and stuff around their house i get the vibe that <laughs> destro's house might do you have a bear do you wrestle bears? Have you wrestled uh, a bear? PCO, I wrestled a bear once. You did wrestle? Of course you did. Tell me about yeah. your, tell me about your bear wrestling experience, please. Well, uh, the bear was afraid a little bit about PCO, but he bites PCO on the bicep, and you can see the scar on his bicep. Oh man, that's why. Oh, so PCO wrestled a bear. You never wrestled a bear. No, PCO is going. Oh, okay. good, <laughs> good. 
That's good to know that you have a limit. Um, so you, you know, I, I was so excited to see you in PCO's corner there because we really hadn't seen you alongside PCO and Ring of Honor until Madison Square Garden. Are there plans to, to use you more often? Are we going to see more Destro and Ring of Honor? Well, I think if we keep working hard together, uh, one day we're going to be uh, together always because we've got so much ideas for that character and uh, having fun with the people and things like that. And uh, I know if we're keeping trying and working hard on the character, one day our company's going to say, okay, let's bring always this role. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, because you, you were in the garden, I was in the garden, I heard the reaction to PCO. I think just outside of Okada, he may have been the most popular wrestler on the entire show. I mean, do you think that that Ring of Honor made the right call uh, not putting the title on PCO in Toronto when it seems like that could have been such a big moment? Well, I don't know what's the plan on ROH, but I know that uh, one day everybody's going to say he deserves to be world champ. Okay, so you you do you, do you foresee maybe another title opportunity for PCO down the road in, in Ring of Honor? Yeah, I think so. I think so. If he's keeping working hard, and uh, you know that when the fans want something, and uh, that that's the way it goes. The goal is work hard, work hard, and put that character on on the map, and it's gonna come. Okay. Now, uh, you know, PCO is in this uh, stable right now, Villain Enterprises, alongside Marty Skrull and Brody King. Uh, what's it been like for you getting to work and get to know Marty and Brody a little bit? Well, I, I met those guys. They're real nice to me and everything. But, you know, I, I'm putting so much energy on PCO. It's got, it would be hard to me to put energy on, let's say, on three guys. Right. Because I'm always thinking about PCO, the character, what we could do. And one video each week, it's a lot of energy. Yeah, it is. Well, especially since you got to you got to come up with a new crazy stunt to do and then make sure you do it in a way where you don't legitimately kill PCO. So I can understand how there's a lot of pressure on the line each week when you make those. Um, yeah, well, it's a lot of pressure just to put one character on the map like that. You can have a lot of character and... Let's say you can have training uh, a trainer who have a uh, hundred clients, but the trainer who have a hundred clients will be less good if he have only three or four clients, right? Sure, sure. How- so I'm putting a lot of energy on PCO because it's a friend at the same time, and uh, every day we're together. So uh, we're chatting always, always new ideas. Okay, what can we do? That, that, that. So it's so much energy that I'm putting all my energy with him. Okay. How much uh, do you do you watch much uh, pro wrestling outside of Ring of Honor, or do you keep up with the Ring of Honor product, or are you just very focused just on the, the PCO character? You know what? My wife uh, can't see no more wrestling and no more Frankenstein movie. <laughs> so I'm always on the channel of wrestling. Arm wrestling and Frankenstein movie. Okay. So uh, that's your answer. I'm always looking at all wrestlers, what they say, what they do, uh, the style they got. So I'm always on that. It's, so, it's like I'm at school. Okay. So outside of PCO, what other performers have grabbed you right now? Which other wrestlers are you enjoying at the moment? Well, let's say I'm looking a lot at PCO and I'm training a few hockey players with that. Okay. Uh, I train uh, Sean Couturier for the Flyers. And so I got uh, almost 
my eyes always on the PCO, but I like a lot Undertaker too. Okay. I was looking at him. It, well, I was a big fan of Undertaker, and uh, that's it. Uh, I like all the wrestlers, but the style I like is Undertaker. And that's kind of the dream match for PCO. I mean, at least I know I, the last time I talked to him, or a couple times ago that I talked to him, he really wanted to do a match with the Undertaker at WWE. I don't know if we'll ever see that, but do you kind of feel like that would be the the icing on the cake if if that match was to ever come together? Yeah, well, I think uh, PCO would be a good guy for Undertaker and put a, a big show with him. That's for sure because it's like two uh, creator, two uh, character of uh, the darkness, if you want. Sure. Uh, I, I know if uh, one day it comes that PCO would wrestle Undertaker, it would be a good match because PCO is in top shape to wrestle him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, he would make him uh, look real good. I, I think you're right about that. Maybe probably better than Goldberg did. I think that's the truth. Um, now, you, uh, we'll switch gears here a little bit to wrap up the interview. Uh, you, I got excited when I met you because I've spent the last, I don't know, two and a half, three years uh, getting to work with and getting to know the world of arm wrestling. I was doing commentary and announcing for the World Arm Wrestling League. And I found out that you are like a bit of a legend in the arm wrestling community. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your experience is like in arm wrestling? Well, I did a lot of arm wrestling since I was about uh, 25, 30 years old. After that, I, I take a break and I came back because my two kids said, oh, daddy, it would be good to see you arm wrestle. So I came back. I was teached by uh, Joe Fidzeman in the United States. Uh, I met all the guys. Uh, Al Turner was a good arm wrestler. Uh, Jim Norton, uh, Dave Patton. So, Cobra Road, I know all those guys, John Berzing, I have the chance to pull them, and now it's a new generation, and uh, still in is Norm Davio, I think is near 80 years old, Crazy George in Canada is almost 70, they're all going at it, so I said to me, I'm going back, and uh, it's a real privilege to still pulling with those guys and everything, you know, but I always like arm wrestling, because now it's only, uh, it's almost all athletes there and there. They're trained so hard. Yeah. The kids, the kids are pushing. It's fast. The game is real fast, and uh, I'll always like it. Can you talk to me a little about how dangerous arm wrestling is? I don't think a lot of people really understand how dangerous the, the sport can be. Well, there's a lot of injury, right? And uh, now, uh, at the old time when I was around twenty. It was more power match in the hook, but now they got that top roll, that hit, yeah. and if you're not ready for it with the, the tendons and the bones and, and your angle, it's a lot of angle on the arm wrestling now, you know, you're going to get hurt, that's for sure. Let's say you have a strong man in a bar and you say, oh, I'm going to go arm wrestle with the best. Oh, you be, better be ready because it's going to hurt. The guys are athletes and they're practicing a lot. Let's say I'm always on the table. I go on the table around three, four times a week. My two kids are pulling, so we're always pulling in the house, always training my hands. Oh, and uh, it's a lot of training now. It's not even a question of, oh, that guy is strong. He's going to beat you. No, no, no. If he don't pull a lot, he's going to get hurt. 
And for those that aren't familiar, uh, you keep saying pull. A pull is a is basically a match between two yeah. arm wrestlers. Um, for yeah, those that, yeah. th- that may be missing that, man, it, it is. It's it's crazy because again, like I see you, I see how strong you are. I hear the legend of you, and it's incredible. Just to, I was so happy to get to meet you in person, and uh, I'm even happier that we finally got to have a podcast together here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy too to talk to you because you look uh, so nice people. I so I was happy. I try. I dress nice and I had a big smile on my face. I was definitely very excited to meet <laughs> to get to meet you. And you know, what did you think? Real quickly here, last thing: Did you have fun at Matt Taven's Arm Wrestle Kingdom? The little arm wrestling gimmick we did uh, Re- Ring of Honor G One weekend. Well, it's a really an honor, and it was with uh, WAL. So I like that that federation because. As soon as I got time loose a little bit, I want to go in that federation too. I want to have fun with all those guys. I know everybody, Dave and Larat, and everybody's there, uh, Michael Todd, Monster, and they're all nice people to me. So I want to join the club. You and Cobra, that's the matchup I want. I feel like you guys are pretty evenly matched. Well, I think it's a little bit the same style, right? Yeah. Because I was watching Cobra. I met him a few times in Diffie Lewis here in Napierville at the Arnold Classic, and uh, he's a nice guy. He's an athlete, too, uh, Cobra. He's always in shape. So I think uh, it would be good. And uh, you got that guy, too, that would like to pull, the the guy of uh, Alligator, you know, that TV show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's really in shape, too. And we're about the same weight. I'm only 132, 135. So uh, I think that would be a good match. What's uh, 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 Last arm wrestling question here. What's the the biggest weight difference in like a bout you've ever pulled? Because I've heard Cobra, he's like, oh, I I, I used to uh, throw guys that were twice my size. I mean, do you have any crazy stories like that? Oh yeah, I, I pull a lot of big guys. Go, uh, I got that uh, destroyer arm wrestling team in Canada, and uh, all the people that are bigger than me. And I got that big giant strongman, uh, uh, Louis Philippe uh, Jean. Uh, he's about four hundred twenty pounds. He used to be a strongman. And when he retired, uh, I said to him, uh, come in arm wrestling. Uh, it took one year. He, run, he won the provincial. Now he's training for the Canadian, and he's 420 pounds, and I'm pulling with him. Man, that's incredible. Destro, you're yeah. awesome. I, uh, I hope maybe another time we can catch up uh, when you've had some more experience here uh, in the world of pro wrestling with PCO. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview? Yeah, PCO is going to be number one. Thank you, Joe, so much for joining me at the top of the show. Uh, we went we went Broadway. We went, went a little over an hour. Uh, so it was wonderful. I hope you all enjoyed that. I, of course, I want to thank D Destro. Uh, what a great conversation that was. Uh, go find Destro online and keep an eye out. Hopefully, we're going to see more Destro here. I got tagged in a, a tweet last night by PCO um, that asked me if I had watched what was going on here with, with Destro. There's a trailer. He's got, I think he's doing something with arm wrestling. I, I got it late last night. I got to check it out. But he's doing something with arm wrestling. Uh, go to my Twitter feed. Just check out the tweet I retweeted from PCO. It's got a update on uh, what is next for D Destro. Uh, of course, if you like this show, go over to our iTunes page, Wrestling Inc. Audio. Five-star ratings, nice comments, always appreciated. Uh, we are going to be on site. I will be on site with our own Michael Weissman this Saturday night in Daytona Beach at Fighter Fest doing coverage. We'll be in the scrums there. So uh, look for content and coverage coming out of Fighter Fest. Of course, right after Fighter Fest, we will have a review show over on the Wrestling Inc. YouTube channel. Uh, and if that is not enough for you, uh, Ring of Honor's Best in the World is this Friday. We will also, of course, have coverage of that on the site. We will also have coverage this Saturday afternoon before Fighter Fest 
of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Australia show. So it's a big weekend for pro wrestling. We've got you covered. Keep locked and loaded uh, right here to, uh, to Wrestling Inc. for all of your coverage. Joe, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up today? Well, my website you can visit is joe-dombrowski.com. You can head to the uh, store area to purchase DVDs, to purchase live event tickets for some of the events I'll be doing. In addition, you can sign up for my brand new Pivot Share page, or you can go directly uh, to that page at uh, joedombrowski.pivotshare.com. Over 215 hours of footage and counting as we go through the archives of my film library and many things that I've done to upload uh, many of the exclusives I've done, like the Montreal Theory and the Legend of Virgil, in addition to the libraries of Premier Championship Wrestling, Welterweight Wrestling, Prime Wrestling, and a whole lot more to be added. Uh, over a dozen different promotions expected to be represented by the end of the year. Get in on the ground floor now. If you don't want to subscribe, that's cool with me. Each title is available separately for rental or purchase for a low price uh, you can sample or you can own any of my works on that pivot share. I will be in attendance this Friday for Ring of Honor Best in the World. Uh, you likely uh, will not see me uh, on camera during the pay-per-view, but I will be there enjoying the sights and sounds. Can't wait uh, to see my good friend Jonathan Gresham in action in person again, who is just absolutely phenomenal in everything he does. And I hope all of you... Uh, make a choice to join Ring of Honor as well, either live or on a pay-per-view basis. Yes, and uh, tomorrow uh, we will have another Ring of Honor Best in the World-themed interview. Of course, PCO today, possibly in the corner, of, uh, or uh, D. Destro today, possibly in the corner of PCO. Uh, he's in six-man tag team action uh, this uh, Best in the World. But we are going to have the man, one of the men in the main event for Best in the World on the show tomorrow, Jeff Cobb. He's going to be here talking about this big opportunity. He's got some harsh words here for Matt Taven. Also on the show tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a second interview. It's an interview I did with Conrad Thompson uh, talking about StarCast 3, his experiences producing it. Was it a financial success? All of those great things. Of course, uh, this ties into Fighter Fest, which will be going on uh, this Saturday as well. And uh, uh, the co-host week continues here as Labar is out on vacation. So tomorrow on the show, we are going to be welcoming a new voice to the Winkley. You've seen him interviewing everybody up and down the road. It is Chris Van Vliet. He will be on the show tomorrow as well. Uh, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you again. I think I said that again. I said it again. It's been a long one. You winded me. I'm blown up here at the end. We, we went. To That's what I do. Hey, next time we're going 90. 90. Jesus. All right. Well, uh, by the way, Chris Van Vliet used to work for me in Cleveland when he was a sports reporter up there for WOIO 19. He was a guest ring announcer. Okay. And uh, did some deals with me. His final event he did with me. We had a special troubleshooting referee there, Jimmy Corderas. It all connects, my friend. Yes, and Jimmy will be here Thursday. Yes, he will be the co-host that day. So a lot still to get to here this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, again, I'm Nick Hausman at Week Rebel on Twitter. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.